Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Hi, this is Michael, and I'm pretty sure by the sixth installment you know the drill, so I am just going to jump right in. The first walk we're... Except I'm going to flub it right away. Okay, let's give that another shot. The first walkers I ran into were standing in the front yard of the house next door. It took me and Smiles all of ten seconds to dispatch them. I then strode up to the front door and rang the bell, hammering on the door with my other hand, calling out. No answer. The lights were on, and I peeked through the blinds in the front to see the sliding glass door at the back of the house, shattered, a drape torn down from in front of it. There were corpses inside, but fresh ones, not moving. Okay, so there was already a body count. I beat on the door again, got nothing, then kicked it in so hard the hinges snapped and it flew across the entryway. That got something's attention, but it was a walker. I took him out fast, annoyed that I was having to do a little crab walk to cut them off as soon as I got close enough to make them run the other direction. I moved across the street, checked that house, and started working my way out across the neighborhood in a spiral. By midnight, I'd gone a two-house-wide circle around the Reinholtz and swung back by. They didn't answer when I called to them from the door, but I caught the whole crew, Kathy, Herb, Mary Lou, and Franklin, but not Jeremy, watching me from the living room window as I left again to continue my patrol. Our neighborhood was built a few decades ago, but it's grown again here and there over the years. The way I figured, I had a couple hundred houses to check, the pool and clubhouse, the playground, and a small city park that backed up against the back of our development. It would keep me busy, at least, and it would keep me from being around the Reinholds place to answer any questions. I figured they were probably suspicious of me by now. Scared, shocked, the usual. They were probably debating what to do about me. I didn't mind giving them some time to work that out in my absence. While I was out working my way through the neighborhood, I called 911 a few more times. I never got an answer, just a please wait and your call will be answered message. I didn't even know 911 could do that. I checked in with Seth and he was getting the same, though he'd seen more cops out since we'd spoken the first time. It sounded to him like they were doing the same thing I was doing, just trying to make a sweep and kill as many as they could find, then turn around and do it again. Every time he saw a siren, he heard gunfire. He and his clientele were holed up at the bar, biding their time. They didn't have much in the way of food, but they had a whole bar's worth of liquor, and that was all the drunks really cared about. By the time I'd gone door to door through the whole neighborhood, it was three in the morning. I hoped the crew back at the Reinholds place was asleep by now. On the other hand, how could they sleep? I hoped most of all that none of them had decided to try to run for it. Any one of them on his or her own would be dead meat in front of a walker. As for the neighborhood, it wasn't pretty. Most people were either not answering or their house had obviously been intruded upon. A few people were willing to call out to me from upstairs windows, but only a very few. 
Most of those were willing enough to exchange a few quiet words, ask if I'd seen the cops, all the predictable stuff. But some of them just shouted at me to get away, stay away, leave them alone. They were scared shitless, and I was a stranger to most of them. I'm sure they'd all seen the name on my mailbox, but very, very few of these people had ever seen me. Despite my having lived here since the 60s, and most of these people not even having been born then. At the last house, which was another collection of victims, I tore open their garage door and dug a can of yellow paint and a brush out of a cabinet. Wielding that, I started to work backwards through the neighborhood, marking houses as I went. The city park and the clubhouse and the pool could take care of themselves. For now, I had houses to mark. If the occupants had been unresponsive and I'd confirmed a corpse inside, I painted a big X on the front door. If there were living people inside, I painted OK in big letters. On most houses, I painted a question mark. It took me three more hours to work my way back to the Reinholds. Surely by now they'd have settled on how to handle me or they'd all be asleep. Either way, I figured I'd at least gotten to skip the melodrama. I found a few new, excuse me, a few new walkers on the way back, and that told me that wherever they were coming from, there were still more coming. It was just before 6 a.m. when Smiles and I walked back up the front walk of the Reinholds' house. The sky was just starting to turn blue instead of black on the eastern edge, and I knew it wasn't going to be long before I had to get inside. My house was just a few minutes' walk, and these walkers were nothing to me. I could have gotten to my house on time if I'd had to wade knee-deep through them the whole way there. To tell the truth, a part of me wanted to do just that. The same part of me that pulled at its chain when the walker in the dining room groaned at me. The part that made me just sweep the table aside and pull its head off with my bare hands. That part of me wanted to turn around and go home and say, Fuck it. They can all die. On the other hand, a part of me felt a tiny little twinge of guilt for having left them here rather than take them with me, though of course that would have been a terrible idea. Guilt rarely listens to reason, though, so I set down the can of paint, raised my right hand, and knocked hard on the front door. It's Withrow. I'm back. It was quiet inside, and I started to worry, so I knocked again. I called out louder. I've been around the neighborhood. I've cleaned up the ones I could find out in the open. I've checked in with everybody who'd answer their door. Come on, I just want to make sure you're okay, and then I'm going home. Still silent. I looked down at Smiles, and he was busy watching behind us, sniffing the air again. I took that as a good sign, but still, I had to know for sure. I clicked my cheeks at him, and the two of us went around back to the barricaded French doors. I clambered over them and into the dining room. Mary Lou was sitting on the couch, an enormous handgun across her lap. The others were sound asleep, snoring to beat the band, huddled in the middle of the floor. I was kind of surprised that I hadn't woken them, but then I noticed a prescription bottle on the coffee table. Sleeping pills, the brand I've seen advertised on TV. Vampires are real good at knowing when someone's alive and someone isn't, and when they're in a bad way, and I could also tell that none of them were breathing heavily or laboriously. They hadn't tried to do anything stupid, they just made sure they could sleep, except for Mary Lou. Awake, exhausted but alert, standing guard over them. I'd bet in an instant that she was the one who'd organized them and made them get some rest. What are you? she said very quietly. For a second I was afraid the gun was meant for me, but she didn't put a hand on it. She just had it sitting nearby, her hands together in her lap, fingers intertwined to keep them from fidgeting. She didn't even look at me. You know what I am. I sighed and eased into her recliner. Smiles patted around the sleepers in the floor, climbed into my lap, and put his head down on my arm. The real question, of course, is whether you're going to do anything about it. When you left, Mary Lou said, we were terrified. 
We sat up talking about it for a long time. I figured as much. You went off and gave us time to talk about you. I shrugged. Yeah? What'd you decide? They, she nodded at the sleepers, stifled a yawn, gulped out of a big mug of coffee. Didn't decide anything. They're useless. She sighed quietly. I arched my eyebrows. She still wasn't looking at me and there were tears in her eyes, but there was a hardness there that hadn't been present when she knocked at my door all those months ago. Oh no, they talked and talked and talked. No one would say it, of course, so they just talked around it. The V word, I murmured. She nodded, still staring out the window. Lots of, is it safe to have someone like him in the neighborhood? Lots of starting to ask the obvious questions and then stopping because no one wanted to be the one to say it. I drew a breath and said, what are the obvious questions? Pretend I don't know. Oh, she rubbed her eyes. You know, what does he eat? Does he turn other people into what he is when he does it? What's he going to do to us now that we know? All that stuff. I nodded and stroked the fur behind Smile's ears. They made a little brower of pleasure and snuggled in. Oh, and of course they think your dog is satanic. I smiled a little, but I meant what I said. I don't advise anyone to try to mess with my dog. Typical, she sighed. Where did you grow up? It had to be in the country with an accent and an attitude like that. I don't generally like to discuss my life, I replied. Also, the small talk was a way to avoid something, and I couldn't tell what it was. Okay, she said, and she lifted one shoulder in an exhausted shrug. We sat in silence for a few moments, and then I patted smiles to get him to stand up and climb down off of my lap. Looks like you've got things under control, I said. I'm going to go home. Mary Lou didn't seem interested in responding at first. You didn't ask what I had decided to do about you, she said as I stood. I sat back down. That's true. You don't care what I think? I opened my mouth to reply with, it doesn't matter what you think, but I stopped. Now probably wasn't the time. Instead, I remained neutral. What did you decide? I asked. At first, I wanted you gone. I wanted you out of our neighborhood. I wanted to call the cops and tell them, oh, I don't know. Yesterday, if I'd called them and told them a vampire lives in my neighborhood, you wouldn't be the one they took away. Now? Everything is different now, isn't it? Assuming there are even cops to call. She rubbed her eyes again. Then I realized that I was terrified. Not terrified of you, though that was true at first. No, what scared me was something altogether different. I was scared that you wouldn't come back. That we would be on our own. I could herd them into submission on the easy stuff, convince them to make themselves sleep rather than have to sit up all night listening to them go over and over and over what to do with you. But I'm not sure I can pick up this gun and shoot one of those things. You know, if it tried to come in the back door or something. Franklin is here, and I suppose if it threatened him, then I'd have to, but I don't know. All I know is that they run from you. I watched the one in the dining room try to do it. I watched the ones in the neighbor's yard do it. You went out for hours, on foot, unarmed, and you came back without a scratch. You've knocked on every door in the neighborhood. You've killed how many of those things? Don't actually answer that. You did it without a thought. I'm sure I could tuck you away in a midnight movie definition if I needed to, just like I can with the things outside. But that's not the point. The point is, I was scared you wouldn't come back. I appreciate your concern, I said quietly, but you don't need to worry about me. Oh, I wasn't thinking about you, she sighed. The silence in the house, other than the snoring, was heavy. 
The silence out in the street was heavy. Usually, when I'd be bedding down right about now, I'd already be hearing a few cars. The paper delivery, the first early risers headed out to beat the morning traffic. All of that was absent. All I could hear outside now were birds. It occurred to me none of us had tried to turn on the news, see what the hell was happening. It was like the second we saw them, everything went out the window. All normacy, all reason. Now Mary Lou wanted me to stick around and protect them when she was the one who'd managed to put them together, get them talking, get them to sleep, loaded a gun and sat up all night watching over them. She didn't need me. She just needed to keep doing what she was doing. I've got my own house to worry about, I finally said, and others to think about. She swung her eyes around at me at last. Others like you. I... I rubbed my eyes. The clock said 6.07. I had 15 minutes to get back home. No, but people all the same. You're lying, she said quietly. There have to be others like you. I imagine you all know each other. I bet you all know all about each other. Keep an eye on each other. You'd want to know if each other were in trouble. You took a call earlier. I bet that was one of them. Are they here? Do they know whether this is everywhere? I imagine it is. It must be or the police would have come by now. I chewed my thumbnail for a moment. It's here, and it's downtown, and that's all I know. I need to get home. Turn on CNN and see for yourself. Mary Lou blinked at that suggestion, then reached over and picked up the remote. A click, and the TV came on. Another, and she had muted it, turned on the closed captioning. She turned to a local station. Now would be the early newscast, and a disheveled, red-headed woman who wasn't the usual anchor was talking into the camera. Behind her right shoulder, there were scenes of fires, of emergency crews, of a National Guard truck rolling down Capitol Boulevard. The shot cut to some police officers gunning down an advancing wave of walkers, but the station had, in its eternal propriety, blurred them so we wouldn't have to look at those not-faces. The captioning read, I repeat, police are working their way through the city and expect today to reach the northern and southern extremities of city limits. If they knock at your door, please call out clearly to answer them. They will have some emergency supplies on hand, including first aid materials. If you do not answer, they may enter to search for hostile agents. House to house, I said, surprised. God damn, that can't be legal. You just did it. I glared at Mary Lou for a second. I ain't the police. She looked back at me and raised both eyebrows in disbelief. And that makes it better. I did it because I care, I said. You care so much you'll leave me here by myself. Oh, Mary Lou, I said, because I had finally had it with just that tiny bit. Get over it. You've got a gun the size of a howitzer and four grown people to help. The five of you might shit your pants when you do it, but you could take one of those things in two seconds if you work together. I may be strong and fast and tough, but I am no five adults who are high on adrenaline. You're going to be just fine. Just, I spread my hands in frustration. Had people really gotten that weak? Were they that timid? Was I like this 60 years ago? Just get the fuck over it already. Easy for you to say, she snapped, her eyes hard, her lips thin and tight. They run from you. They didn't eat your dog. They didn't walk out in front of your car. They didn't break down your back door. Oh, yes. And now she was practically hissing. It is very easy indeed for you to say. What's a few more monsters when you're one yourself? My eyes widened just a little. I realized Smiles had awakened and was watching her in silence. She looked at me, then at him, then threw her hands up and let them flop down on the couch beside her. Oh yes, very easy. Very easy indeed. Maybe they were right. Maybe your dog is satanic. Maybe you're a demon. Fuck if I know. All I know is what I see on Buffy. 
Maybe you're just cowards. Maybe you're all just terrible cowards, slinking through the shadows and feeding off what you can, scurrying off the second the light gets shined on what you are like cockroaches with thumbs. She turned back to the TV where the warning about the house-to-house searches was being repeated. Well, go then. Go and have a lot of fun when the cops show up at your house today and they call out in your... I don't know, in your coffin, buried in the earth? Who knows? Go right ahead and let them knock your goddamn door in when you don't answer and let them shoot your dog and tag you as just another corpse because if you can just walk away from five people who want your help, who need your help and want your help, and how often does someone like you hear that anyway? Then I don't know what you are and I don't want to know. She reached up and brushed a tear aside and then punched the pillow beside her on the couch. None of what she said was what kept me from stomping out in a blind rage and taking a door with me so they'd all learn what happened when they pissed me off. It was that TV news broadcast and those words being repeated every 30 seconds or so in big block letters in the closed captioning. If you do not answer, they may enter. If the cops came in and found me during the day, either I'd never wake up and they'd think I was a body and when I came to, I'd have a whole mess of questions to answer. Or smiles would kill them. Or I'd wake up and likely kill them in confusion. Day sleep is not like normal people sleep. It's like hitting a brick wall. You close your eyes and you're just out. Mary Lou, for all her self-righteousness, was right. I'd never make it if the cops came into my house and I knew myself that when they knocked, I would never answer. I'll stay, I said heavily. But I have to have a dark room. Really dark. I don't mean dim. I mean pitch black. Preferably a closet or an interior bathroom where I can stuff a bunch of shit under the door. It has to happen in the next ten minutes or I'll set this whole house on fire when the sun catches me. It was the most direct discussion of the nature of my biological state that I'd had with anyone since the night my maker turned me free. Mary Lou was staring at me, kind of stunned it actually agreed or said all that or anything. I realized instantly that she hadn't really blamed me, and she didn't really want a vampire as her benevolent protector. She was just angry and sick of it and scared, and I was there to be yelled at. But after a few seconds, she set the gun on the coffee table and nodded. Okay, let's get you in the guest bath. It's going to be cramped. Any port in a storm, I sighed. But do not, no matter what, open the door during the day. Trust me. All right, she said. I can make sure that doesn't happen. Smiles is going to keep watch outside the door. We were walking up the steps and she grabbed some towels out of a linen closet handing them to me. It's what he does. Nothing in the world will change it. I'm not even sure I could get him not to. So nobody comes near the bathroom. He'll go for anybody he perceives as a threat to me and he knows during the day that I'm vulnerable. Mary Lou nodded, opened the door of the guest bath and gestured for me to enter. I started towards the door but she looked puzzled and said, So why didn't he go for me when I was yelling at you? We're... Bonded, I said. It's complicated. Bottom line, he didn't do anything because I didn't feel threatened. She looked blank for a moment, so I said it. I could take you, gun and all, if I had to. Okay? Your curiosity satisfied now? Then I signaled Smiles to sit in the hallway, eased into the bathroom, closed the door, stuffed two towels under it, and settled into the tub. Before I'd even rested my head against the tile, the day sleep had me, and I was gone. That concludes the sixth installment of me reading from Perishables. I just want to note for a second that talking about the birds being louder than normal on the first day that Withrow realizes he doesn't hear cars in his neighborhood. Um, that's really hitting home because I just got back from walking around my neighborhood and the birds are singing like crazy because nobody's driving around. But that's a good thing at the moment. Um, wow. <sighs> 
this is quite a time to be reading perishables alive uh, aloud and alive thank goodness and uh thanks for listening talk to you tomorrow night Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.